from 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball. This is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game. Hello, 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 and welcome in to the PBP. Hope everyone's doing well. September, a great baseball month. A thriving playoff chase in both leagues. Unbelievable. And thank you to all of you who reached out and had kind words for last week's episode with John Miller. What a thrill that was to have that man, that living legend, give us all he gave last week. So this past Sunday, I, your faithful narrator, had my final day as part of the Cubs broadcast booth for this regular season. I did pregame and postgame and the fifth inning of play-by-play for the Sunday 5-2 win over the Arizona Diamondbacks. And as always, my goodness, it was thrilling to be a part of it. It felt intense on many emotional levels. I had a good inning, a fun, active inning. Um, the Diamondbacks scored one in the top of the fifth. Cubs came back with one in the bottom fifth. There was a great Ian Happ double play. The 0-1 is hit in the air towards the left side. Ian Happ hustling in. He slides and makes the catch. Throws back to second, and it's a double play. Caught off second was Emmanuel Rivera. Ian Happ with a terrific sliding catch. He's so good when he goes to the ground or jumps in the air. As he slid and made the catch, he immediately popped up and fired a bullet to Nico Horner, who stretched like a first baseman, and that's a double play. Really cool, fun, weird play. And just in general, it was the first time in the booth for me since late July when I did the three games in full. And the first time in the booth backing up Zach Zaidman and Ron Coomer, as I usually do, since May. And I was thinking about it because that May game... Just four pages back in my Bob Carpenter scorebook was the finale of a sweep at the hands of the upstart Cincinnati Reds. And so much has changed since then. The Cubs are looking like a playoff lock. Maybe not lock, but they're battling and the Reds are fighting for a spot. And I personally now have a level of comfort doing games But I was quickly reminded that having weeks or months between games is just no way to stay sharp. I mean, my inning was comfortable in some ways, but there are a couple small mistakes that Ryan Porth will not play for you um, that have stuck with me, that I've thought about in the days following. Bottom line, I want reps. I need reps someday, right? Well, it's been an amazing season overall here on the PBP Voices of Baseball. We're full of ideas and surprises on how to wrap it up. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for a tease in that regard, okay? The guest today is a gem of a human who has had some great baseball moments on the microphone, especially in recent postseasons working with A.J. Przinsky on Fox Television. But as you hear in the first question right here, he is also a master of many forms of play-by-play, which makes him unique among our guests so far. Give it up for our friend, Adam Amin. So I was going to say, Adam Amin, that you are the first truly active, multi-sport, badass, play-by-play human on the podcast a uh, lot of adverbs and adjectives mixed in there. We'll let somebody else sure. diagram the sentence. Um, but I guess that's not true because I've had Joe Davis on the show and Jason yeah. Benetti on the show, but I focused on just, just baseball um, with them. You 
I, I mean, a lot of the local listeners know you as the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls guy. Um, but you're also uh, one of the national, the predominant national Fox NFL guys. And and and, and w- what else is active and current other than, of course, Fox baseball, which you are active doing, including the postseason as well. What else is current on the on the roster right now? I mean, that's the, that that's the main stuff, though. I mean, it's it's the three sports. I'm, I get to cover pro sports. You know, the, the, the things I grew up around the most basketball, the NBA. NFL, Major League Baseball, and then you know I'll I'll jump in on a handful of like college basketball broadcasts over the course of the year, maybe you know somewhere in the five to ten range, not too many, um, but usually they're you know fun games to do. They're typically like early season non-conference big matchups. I think we're gonna do a Thanksgiving game at some point uh, this year out in California, and like you know you get to sprinkle in a few of those in between the other stuff. But that that's what it is right now. It's it's doing the NFL on Fox. It's getting ready for major league baseball postseason, And, you know, before we know it, NBA is going to be here and we'll be talking about bulls basketball. Um, you know, it's funny. Cause when I was talking with, with Joe Davis, with, with your pal, Joe Davis, he, um, we focused uh, in terms of him coming up through the ranks on his time with the Montgomery biscuits and sure. the work he did on his broadcast chops in the minors. And I know you did the Joliet jackhammers and I want to get to that, but just, just for for a frame of reference, you have done college football. You've done two women's basketball final fours, um, NBA playoffs, um, women's college softball World Series. Do I have that right? Yep, five um, of those. The McDonald's High School All American Game. Yep. Um, and, and obviously all the sports that that we're talking about. Uh, and two Nathan's hot dog eating contest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right? That is, that is so, a real resume that you just read off of a human being who has done this. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, it's, I want the listeners to understand what the path is like. And as you say, now you're doing yep. these three pro sports and you're doing this, you've been able to winnow it down to stuff you want to do at this point. Is that a correct perception? Yeah, I, I think that's fair, but like, you know, when you're first starting out, you know, like I did when I was 24, when I got hired by ESPN, you know, you're just trying to get in where you fit in, right? Like they're not going to hire you unless, you know, at that age. And I, hopefully they think you're good. Hopefully they have some faith in, in your abilities, but for the most part, you're, you know, you're a cog in the, in the big machine and you're just trying to help the gears keep moving. You know, you're just trying to help the machine, uh, move as, as, um, efficiently and as uh, as much without problem as possible. So, you know, a lot of what what I ended up doing was just saying yes a lot. And, you know, for them to hire me for 45 games on my first contract was, hey, can you do college football? No problem. I I'd never called football on television in my life uh, until I, I stepped into an ESPN booth for a high school football game in August of 2011. I had been asked, can you do college volleyball? No problem. It was my favorite sport, like niche sport growing up. I played volleyball all the way through high school at Addison Trail and a little bit of club ball and covered a ton of it when I was at Valpo in college. And I loved volleyball. No problem. I've called plenty of it. I'll do it. Can you do college wrestling? We're going to have you do the NCAA wrestling championships. Well, I spent, you know, six, seven months in Iowa during the winter calling wrestling matches and meets and duels on the radio Sure, I'll call the NCAA wrestling championship. Of course, you can do basketball. A lot of people can. Can you do baseball? Yeah, I did minor league baseball for 
the Gary South Shore Railcats for two summers and filled in for Joliet and and you know went down and did a a, a couple of Montgomery Biscuits games with with my pal Joe Davis and and stayed with him on his couch while we got ready for our seasons and did the Somerset Patriots for a couple of years. Yeah, I can do your baseball. Can you do college softball? Yeah, I did the Division II World Series last year. I can do that for you too. So a lot of that was just saying yes to things that either I had done, I felt like I could do, or I had to do for the sake of furthering my career or a combination of those things. And that's how you end up doing all those things. That's how you end up doing the Women's Final Four a couple of times. That's how you end up getting asked if you, you know, you want to do the NBA playoffs for ESPN radio. Yeah, sure. And you end up calling conference finals for, you know, three or four seasons. And that's how you you end up with some of these things. And suddenly you look back, you know, after nine years and that's the, the full, you know, look at the resume, I guess, after, after all that time. Well, that, that attitude, that, that attitude of yes is how you have to survive in this business. I I mean, I did it for me as, as an intern at the beginning, and it's always been my advice to young broadcasters of anybody getting into radio, learn how to do everything, learn how to do everything and say yes to everything because you never know what, what might stick. That's, that's fascinating. What, um, so, so Joe Davis, did you go down and just do games with him for fun because he was doing games and he said, you're good at this. You're, we're both pros. Why don't you do this with me? How, how, how does that work? It was a little bit of that. So we had met in the summer of 2009. I was working for Gary in, uh, in Indiana and uh, he was working for the Schaumburg at the time, the Schaumburg Flyers uh, sure. with, I believe at the time, I'm not sure if it was that season or, or it, I don't know if they crossed paths that year, but. I think Kevin Fishbane was one of the broadcasters as well, if I'm not mistaken, our beloved Kevin Fishbane, who does a fabulous job covering the Bears. Uh, so we met that summer of 09, and we hit it off immediately because I recognized something in him that I think he recognized in me, which was, A, we were both huge dorks when it came to broadcasting, especially baseball. And he was the only other person I knew that was so into this, into the nuance of this, that it, I believe for me, and I, I maybe he would say the same, I'm not sure, I, I think so. It really accelerated our growth. Just, it, it, it just made it faster. Like we were very critical of each other and we listened to each other's, you know, tapes a lot. I'd send him an inning every couple of weeks, you know, after we had met, we hit it off and became friends. And I think I remember sitting down and eating a meal with him before one of our games that our teams are playing each other and said, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, I want to be on network TV. What do you want to do? Well, I want to be on network TV too. Okay, cool. We're going to be friends and, and we'll, we'll talk to each other. And, and we just sent each other tapes and ripped them, just ripped them apart. This was great. This was, I don't like this. Why are you doing this? It wasn't just, I like this or not. It's why are you doing something? Why do you, Hey, you do this, this way. I don't do it that way. Why do you do it that way? And maybe you learn something and maybe you pick something up and, it was a lot of that. And that's the only way I think you can accelerate the process. You have to get feedback from people that you trust and that are going to tell you what's good and what's bad in their estimation. And because I trusted him and he trusted me, we took that, uh-huh. that advice to heart. And I think it just made us better a lot faster. Wayne Randazzo was the same way. You know, he and Joe were in the same league in the Southern League. You know, Wayne, I think, was in Mobile while, while Joe was in Montgomery. And, you know, before my season in New Jersey with Somerset and the Atlantic League started, you know, a couple of weeks after Joe's season started, he said, come down here, drive down to Alabama and we'll just do games together, you know, for a week. And he had me do, you know, this, do the middle innings with him or, or do the third, fourth and seventh. And it just became like this great partnership and friendship. And 
you know, he was, he was so important for me to get better at this job. And I think we motivated each other too. Cause I ended up getting hired at ESPN in 2011. You know, I'd kind of given him some advice on how, it, how I had, you know, navigated the business side of it, the agent side of it, the representation side of it. He got an agent eventually. And then he got to ESPN a year later. And then two years later, he went to Fox. And then I was working my way up at ESPN while he was working up at Fox. And, you know, a few years later, now we're teammates at Fox and we both do the playoffs, you know, for Major League Baseball, which is the craziest possible thing that we could have thought up. So, yeah, a lot. I think that whole process got accelerated because of guys like Joe, guys like Wayne, you know, they just rip you apart and rip your tape apart. And that's what I wanted. I wanted that. They wanted that. And I think that was one of the reasons that we all helped each other get better a little bit faster. It's an incredible little talent incubator you guys created yourselves. And yes, it's the it's the willingness to be critical, but it's the willingness to have that. Like you had the openness yeah. and it sounds like 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 you all did. It's it's stunning. I mean, Joe Davis now doing the Dodgers, Wayne Rendazzo now doing the Angels and Apple TV. You all have national baseball jobs. It's um it, it it's remarkable. Where did your personal willingness to take feedback like that come from and, it, and and was that fostered with each other obviously a little bit yeah I, I think it was definitely fostered in a, in a better way in a more efficient way in a more meaningful and nuanced way with each other I think when I first started at, in college at Valpo you know I was the only I, I'm not the only one but I was I was one of the guys who was in the production room at 11 p.m on a Tuesday night after we'd get done calling a volleyball match on the radio and listening back and going god that was bad why am i doing this or hey that was good why don't i do this more you know i was i was always trying to listen and, and get better and i'm sure a lot of my fellow uh students and and co-workers at the radio station were like god this guy must love his voice or must have a huge ego and i promise you that was not the case i was in that room cringing but i knew i had to do it like this is how i got better i, I this is the best way to practice because I, I grew up playing the violin if I want to practice playing the violin, I just go and practice and listen, and I can do it on my own. You don't get reps unless you're on the air or you're at a game. You're under the uh, the, the schedule and structure of a different entity. So you only get so many cracks at this. So anytime I did a game, I'm like, well, I got I to gotta get better for the next time because there are only so few and far between, especially when you're first starting out. So I was always listening to myself trying to figure out what's good, what's bad. And I was always listening to the broadcasters that I liked, the Dan Shulmans, the Mike Tarikos, the Ian Eagles, the Sean McDonough's of the world, the Pat Hughes, the, the, the Pat Foley's, the Jim Durham's. Like, you know, Jim Durham was calling the NBA Finals for ESPN Radio. I have cassette tapes that I would record on, you know, like one of those old boombox radios to, you know, record and then listen back on my old Walkman. Like, I still use the yeah. Sony Walkman tape player because that's what I could listen to these NBA broadcasts on. And I would listen to John Miller do Sunday night baseball on ESPN radio and do playoff games and all this stuff. And I just kept listening. And eventually you're like, all right, I need somebody else to tell me what's good and what's bad. And as soon as I met Joe and as soon as I got like that first critique from him, like 14 years ago, and he was so like sharp, like he just knew his stuff and he was so sharp with what was good and what was bad that's when I was like, all right, I need to, I, I want to get feedback. This was great. It was, it was great for me. It made me better. It made me more aware of what I was good at, what I was bad at. And I think that's where that willingness came. The willingness was there. And then when I realized how valuable it was, and it wasn't just Joe, it was guys like Joe Block, who's now the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, the Ian 
Eagle listened to my tape a bunch of times and, and told me what was good and what was bad. There's a lot of people out there who, who took time to do that. And I wanted that. I craved that feedback. One of the themes um, that I wasn't necessarily expecting to find in doing this podcast and now having talked to, I guess, you know, 14 or so uh, people who do baseball is that for the most part, it's not necessarily true for everybody, but there is a sense of warmth and inclusiveness and paying it forward in terms of giving advice and listening to tapes and helping out. And I I wonder if you have found that for the most part. Yeah, I I think so. I I really do think there's more great people than assholes in this business. Honestly, like I, I just, I've come to believe that. Now, when you meet one, it it's jarring to me at this point. Like I really, I, I and you, it really sticks out when you meet somebody who's yeah. got like a huge ego or is just mean or, or not nice or, or whatever. Like it really sticks out because for the most part, the people that I've been fortunate enough to meet or befriend or advise or, you know, get advice from, they've all been really supportive. They've all been really kind and, and they want you to get better. Don't you think it would be more difficult to learn what you need to learn and be curious and go about your business if you were an asshole in this business? I would think so. And that's why it's so jarring to me. You know, like it really does kind of throw me for a loop. It's like, well, why, what value do you get out of, out of this? You know, like, I feel like, yeah. And listen, I, I'm sure like there's a, a talent douche scale somehow, you know, like the more talented you are, the more you can get away with being a douche. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. You you know exactly what I'm talking it's about a, here. Like it's an X Y axis. Hot, yes, you got it's a, it's a it's a two axis thing. You got the crazy hot scale from How I Met Your Mother back in the day, and like this is what 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 this is. It's the talent douche scale, and it's like yes. the more talented you are, the more leeway you get of being an asshole, and the less talented uh, you are, you don't get a lot of leeway of being an asshole. But my uh, favorite part is like when you meet really super talented people, and they're just nice, and they're kind, and they're encouraging, and for the most part. Uh, and maybe it's just the people that I've, 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 the, the company that I've kept or the people that mm-hmm. I've met that I've formed relationships with. I'm sure that's part of it too. Those, those people that are are kind and nice and talented. Like I like having those people because they will be honest with you and they want you to be better and they want to give advice. That's part of it too. I love giving advice to young broadcasters because it's, it's paying it forward. It's, it's this knowledge that like, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'll write a book one day, you know, Joe and I have actually talked about writing a book someday about kind of giving whatever wisdom that we've picked up over, you know, our combined, you know, 30 years or 25 years of experience or whatever it is at this point. Like, I'm sure that'll happen at some point. We'll solicit the advice and and wisdom of our friends and, and colleagues too. But like, I like doing that. I like talking to college classes and I like telling kids like, Hey, this is what I'm, I really worked on and and it helps you know it just a little bit of encouragement and giving yeah. a kid uh, a little bit of confidence goes a tremendously long way what have um h- how did learning to do all those other sports and how has actively doing some other sports how has that informed your baseball work specifically because i want to focus on on the baseball yep. for uh, for the most part for, from here on out so how would you say that stuff has influenced your baseball work i think pacing has been the most important thing for me. Um, and, and more so in kind of realizing the differences of, of the pacing. And, and it's all changed by the way, this year with the pitch clock, everything has changed this season with, with the timing and, and the structure and the skeleton of a game, because, you know, the, the thing that I didn't realize up until 
you know, 10 years ago when I first really started doing Major League Baseball. I think 2013 was my first year doing Major League Baseball. Uh, John Shambi, you know, our, our beloved Boog, he taught me very about structure on radio. You know, I started doing games for ESPN radio in 2013 and, and John was such a big part of that. And he had learned from John Miller, you know, who's the hall of fame broadcaster for the giants. There's a very specific structure that we as younger broadcasters sometimes don't recognize because we're so intimidated by the idea of filling all this time. That's what you hear about with baseball. It's the leisurely pace and it's all about storytelling and it's, it's trying to, weave all this information and knowledge over the years. And you can reference something from the 1950s. It's what makes baseball, you know, so great. You can compare eras for the most part, although I think that is diminishing a little bit as, as time goes on, you can compare eras and make uh, references to years past. So you're very intimidated, especially when you're doing like college baseball or minor league ball, where there's not that depth and breadth of information and storytelling the way that there is at the major league level with all these stories and years of history. I think we get so caught up in like, well, I have to prep and I have to have all this information and I have to get it all in. And and what John, what Boog taught me was that there is a structure, especially on the radio. Your job at the at, at, at its heart, no matter what, is still to document the game. And that is what dictates your pacing. It's not the yeah. prep that you come in. It's not the stories that you come in. It's the starting pitcher. It's the pitcher on the uh, on the mound that is going to dictate how you call a game. And in the microcosm, it's the pitch itself and it's the crack of the bat and the pop of yep. the mitt. And I, I, I got that from Joe Davis via John Miller about yep. how the cadence, your cadence should be informed by those <laughs> sounds and should be part of your cadence. And then talking to Boog, he gave me this, Adam, that he got from John Miller, because it seems to often go back to John. Yep. <laughs> start, start ahead. Be early with the pitcher. Yep. If you're describing the pitcher or the pitch as he's in the windup, you're late because yes. the baseball is faster than you. Right? That's what that's what he taught me and and that and that changed my life in terms of how I started to call games. Uh you know, through the minors I had had like a, a great the, the minor league experience for me doing four seasons between Gary and Somerset it was great because you have to fill all this time. Those two years in Somerset where I was the, the lone guy, you know, and Gary, I was the number two and I was learning and, and, and just doing, a, you know, three innings a night. I go to Somerset, I'm, I'm the lead guy for 140 games for nine innings a night. And you learn so much in terms of how to pace and how to structure. But if I go back and listen to any of those broadcasts, I'm going to, I'll be so angry at myself because I'm not constantly, but I will feel behind. I will always sure. feel like I'm behind the pitch and what you said, what John has taught us and what, what Boog has passed down and what, you know, he gave to Joe and I, like it's, it's 100% accurate. You need to set up the pitch so that a listener is ready a broadcast. And I, and I, I, I tell this to young broadcasters all the time in any sport, a radio broadcast is only as good as what the listener can absorb and process in their mind. Because if you're behind, they're going to be way behind. If you're ahead, then by the time that their brain catches up and processes what you've said, now they're ready. So you have to be ahead of the pitch. You have to be ahead of the moment. And you want those sounds, especially on a Major League Baseball broadcast, where the engineers mm -hmm. are so good and you have all this access to crowd mics and you hear the, you know, the crack of the bat and you hear the crowd 
kind of rising and falling in, in succession. You hear some of the chatter. You want a listener to be ready for the start of the windup. When you say, here's the 2-1 pitch, there should be a space there because that's where the listener gets ready for you to tell the listener what is about to take place. Here's the pitch. Here is the resulting action of that pitch. Here is the result of the play that takes place when the ball is put in play or perhaps there's a swing and a miss or whatever. And then here's the, the, the next step to that. You want to be ahead of all that so that the listener easily and consistently absorbs and processes all that information. And what they don't realize, what you don't realize you're doing for them is that you're keeping them engaged in the rhythm of the game. Baseball is such a mm. rhythmic, regimented sport. And it's why I love the pitch clock. I think it keeps people more engaged pitch to pitch to pitch. Whereas, you know, even if you're kind of listening casually or watching casually, you might kind of doze off. The reason Gary Cohen and I think Joe and Benetti and Randazzo and like these guys are so good is because they've learned the rhythm of how to call these pitches and how to call this sport. And it, yeah. what you don't realize it's a subtle thing, but it keeps you as a listener and viewer engaged pitch to pitch to pitch. And that way you're ready for when the big moment, the big swing, the big home run does come. And I, I don't think listeners even necessarily realize that that's happening, but they feel no. it, that, that you're keeping yes. them engaged yeah. in that way. So one more thing about fall, um, multi-sport, insane Amin. Um, <laughs> have you ever, have you ever missed a flight that in, endangered your next assignment or any travel stories where the weather damaged uh it, because it, there'll be a week where you're doing it, it, tell me the cra give me the craziest week you've had I, i'm just kidding. like sure. there's, there's got to be a week with like there's a, 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 a an mlb playoff game and a bulls game and an nfl game have you done all three in the same week i have uh typically it's preseason for the bulls but uh you know because that's the uh, that's where that crossover just has that line it may or may not dip into each other like i'll yeah. miss you know this year i'll miss the first three Bulls preseason games because I've got football and, and major league playoffs going on. Um, but last year that was the case, you know, two years ago when I was doing the white Sox Astros series, there was like a bulls game mixed right at the end of that series. And then you go right back to football and it's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so, so yeah, that, that October week, you know, that those two weeks in October are some of my craziest. I have had a, uh, a, a near miss and it was during Thanksgiving weekend in 2016 where it was all football related now this is when i was working at espn i was doing the friday football package for espn with mac brown one of my all-time favorite people he's one of my great friends in this business i love him to death and we're doing north carolina against north carolina state this was mitch trubisky's final regular season wow. game one of his 13 college starts or whatever it ended up being and uh, didn't look Ryan all that Pace good. Was really, <laughs> Pace was impressed. Pace was impressed. Pace loved it. I wasn't all that impressed, admittedly. That's no shade. I, I feel bad. That's no shade against Mitch. Yeah, anyway, okay. he won a division title. Um, so I did we did the Friday noon ESPN game. This is the Black Friday game between Carolina and NC State. And then I get assigned, as you often do on Thanksgiving weekend, to an extra game because just, you know, there's a lot of Friday games and there's a bunch of Saturday games. It's it's a fun weekend. But my game on Saturday that I get assigned to is Wyoming at New Mexico. 
which is a Josh Allen game, by the way. So that was that was fun to watch Josh Allen play quarterback. Uh, I'm doing that game in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I make it Friday night to Albuquerque, and it's a late night game. And the next day on Sunday, I have Jets Patriots, I believe, <laughs> at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey across the country. So I get oh, done God. with my Saturday night game. I have a flight from Albuquerque to Denver, Denver to New Jersey. It's a 425 kickoff Eastern time at MetLife Stadium. I am oh. just going to make it in time. My flight from Albuquerque to Denver gets canceled. I am immediately freaking out. I'm calling like the travel agents for ESPN. I'm hoping that I can make it. I'm, I'm looking at my phone, trying to book a flight. Literally three gates down, Albuquerque to, to Dallas. I then rebooked the flight Dallas to Newark, hoping I would oh. make it. I get on the flight to Dallas. I'm in the Dallas airport. Time is already winding down at this point. I call my statistician, Ed Svita, who is my NFL guy. He's my baseball guy. He was my NBA guy at ESPN. He's one of the best in the business. He's Joe Buck's guy on Monday night. Done a ton of wow. Super Bowls and World Series. And he goes, do you have your stuff? Do you have your board? And do you have like your binoculars and all that? I was like, yeah, it's in my backpack. He goes, do you have clothes? I'm like, no, I'm wearing what I'm wearing. My bag, I had to check my bag, which I never do because I was the late addition of the flight. And he goes, when you get to Newark, leave your bag. Don't worry about it. They're just going to put it into you know storage for the, for the day because nobody claimed it. I'm going to race up, pick you up. As long as you have your boards, we're going. I'm wearing, I haven't showered. I'm wearing like a long sleeve polo. I've got glasses on and like what essentially equates to sweatpants. And he's like, I don't care. I'm picking you up. I land at 325 for a 425 jet game. He picks me up at the at, at curbside at Newark Airport, and he is flying, going down the shoulder. He's weaving and bobbing in and out of traffic. New York traffic and Jersey traffic on game day is miserable. We pull up at 410 at MetLife oh. Stadium. Thankfully, I have my pass. I have my spotting board. I've got my binoculars. And I'm like sprinting through the media gate, trying to make it up. We get to the top floor. I see Bob with shoes in the great voice of the Jets. And, and one of my colleagues at ESPN goes, oh, so you finally decided to join us. I walk <laughs> into the booth. My bosses know about all this. My bosses at ESPN radio know that like, hey, he's running a little late. He's going to try to make it. They have a backup, John Brickley, a good friend of mine. He's lined up to do the game. I sent him my charts. I said, you can, if you have to do this game, don't have to prep. I'll send you everything. Just use my boards. He's wearing a suit. He is ready. This is going to be his NFL broadcast debut. Oh, Chris, Canty, Chris Canty is the analyst. He's making his debut as an analyst on an NFL game. He's wearing a nice shirt and tie. And I walk into the booth three minutes before we go on the air, five minutes oh. before the ball is kicked. And I just Wally pipped John Brickley on what was going to be the biggest day of his broadcasting life. Chris Canty is thinking, who the hell is this idiot who doesn't dress up for a game? He looks like he just rolled out of bed, and we call the game. <laughs> and I made it home that night, and to this oh. day, I have yet to, I've yet to miss a game, but I've had a dozen close calls at least. My a dozen God. at least. The uh, the 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 ability to to deal with the personal, the partners looking at you, the anxiety and everything, and still hit the air. 
that's fun though. You gotta, you gotta look at yeah. that and, and, and thrive with it or else you won't survive yeah. in the business. Three foot, three, three football games in a weekend. It's a ridiculous thing to do. I've done it twice in my career and the prep that week is miserable and I'm exhausted. I'm up till two, three o'clock in the morning each night. And then when I get done on Sunday night and I'm on that flight home after the NFL game, every time mm. I was like, I felt like a bad, I felt like a badass. I was like, and I know yeah. that's like, who gives a shit, but like for our oh. little bubble of, of broadcasting, I'm like, tell me who else would be able to do that. And there's plenty of us that can and have, but like, you don't have to, you don't I, have to I, mitigate I took on the it, challenge. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you took on the challenge and this is, I, I mean, I, I tell this to people all the time, even just as a talk show host, I need a certain amount of healthy arrogance to do the job. Well, you know, you, you, you absolutely need it. The The trick yep. is to still be self-aware and not turn yeah. into an a-hole with it. Not, not exactly. to treat people poorly or anything like that. And to realize that you're not necessarily special, but in terms of your job, you need that, that healthy arrogance. Um, what does it feel like conversely to do an entire baseball series? You know, when you do, you know, you, you did, you did white Sox Astros, as you mentioned, you did Braves and Marlins in 2020 in the bubble or Padres Dodgers 2022. Like when you're doing a whole series and feeling embedded as a journalist um, for big game after big game after big game. And the context just builds, that's gotta be yep. its own kind of buzz. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I look at guys like Joe and Jason who do this job just about every day in baseball specifically. And I know what the feeling is like doing a team. I, I do the bulls. I, I do, you know, 65, 70 of their, their games. So like I have a sense for this, but it's a little different in baseball. And, and these series are their own little, you know, their own little packages. And, and you're, you're trying to build the story throughout those three or four days like that. It, it was a, a, an experience that I loved. I, I forgot how great that is to be able to track just, game to game to game and how much value that gives you. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, say it this way. I baseball to me is my weakest sport because I do the, the least amount of it. I only do 15 to 20 games counting a playoff series a year and it's the longest sport. So you're really parachuting in. It's the hardest of the three things that I do prep wise. It's, it's pretty extensive. Football is probably the most extensive just because the amount of players and how much weight is on every game. But, you know, basketball is a, a breeze compared to what we're doing for baseball. You know, it's, it's why the guy, like guys like Jason and Joe are so good at it. They're so embedded in it. They feel it and they know every nuance in the context of it. I have to kind of jump in and relearn it. You know, I haven't called a baseball game in a month. I'm doing Phillies Brewers on Saturday. That's, that's a huge game for both of those teams. So, yeah. you know, I have to relearn the last month of context that I've kind of been away from while I've been doing preseason football. It's my weakest sport. So to even get the chance to go back in and do one, two, three, four of that series last year for Padres Dodgers and just have this kind of understanding of what every pitch means and how much weight is on it, what the bat in game one between Machado and Evan Phillips means in game three, like what Josh Hader against Mookie Betts means in game three and four, just like it did in game one, like those, those matter. And it's already magnified and amplified because it's a playoff series, but yeah. to even get to do it just one, two and three and four to be back in it and feel like you said embedded in the, in the, the true full story of the series was, was awesome. And it, it did take me a while. It took me a game and a half to get back into the rhythm of, of, you know, Hey, this is what it is. And I, I remember the game, the end of game two, and then games three and four in San Diego last year was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life calling, calling baseball because 
it it was like I felt like I was the first documentarian on site to bring all that. And I felt like I was back in the rhythm of doing it. Do you remember a moment in either game three or game four, a late game, uh, you know, or a moment of consequence that we're sanctioned with MLB here? I mean, I, I can go pull that and, uh, and, and we, <laughs> we can think about it, you know? Yeah. There, I mean, listen, the, when we got to that, I mean, that five run rally in, in game four by San Diego, that whole inning was just wild. You know, Robert Suarez getting out of bases, a bases loaded jam and kind of the Houdini act that he pulled. Uh, and then Hader, Hader and Freeman to finish the series just as they did uh, a year prior for different teams when it was Milwaukee and Atlanta and Freddie Freeman getting the, you know, getting the best of Josh Hader in the eighth inning, hitting a home run to eventually send Atlanta to the world series or to the next round, I should say Hader getting his revenge, so to speak, to send the Padres to the NLCS. Like there, there was a lot of poetic justice in that. And it was just really cool. One strike away. Hader to Freeman. Those will always stick out, man. And, you know, the goose in game two was pretty fun, too, admittedly. Ah, yes, the goose. Yeah, that's you a good, old, good goose. old goose. Yeah. There's a bird out there in center field, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the duck. We, needed, we, we thought we saw everything in the game, and now a new friend wants to join our party. Hello, friend. We had the goose. Or as, or as AJ and I originally thought, a duck. Uh, we thought it was a mallard, and then we're promptly uh, – you know, executed verbally on uh, on the internet for being like, "Hey, you non or ornithologist, how did you not know that that was a goose?" Well, a lot of it people was don't clearly know that a goose. AJ, it, AJ took ornithology courses on the side yeah, when he was right. in Minnesota. Yeah, that's right, I believe. Yeah, if, if yeah, it's, it's, it's the land of ten thousand lakes. You have to know your you have to know your waterfowl in Minnesota. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you also had Kane guy in the White Sox. Yes. Game. <laughs> Didn't you? So you we loved, White we Sox, loved Kane guy. You had Kane guy, which, which swept Chicago and I'm sure at least part of the nation, just a remarkable thing. And, and Leori Garcia home run. I mean, that, that had to be yes. a special, a, a special night to broadcast in your hometown, a playoff yep. win on the national level. Game three of that series, the blackout game on a Sunday night. Uh, it was me, AJ and, uh, and Wainwright, Adam Wainwright. I, it was one of the greatest moments of my career. And it was one of the coolest events I'd ever covered. And I don't doubt that a major reason why I will feel that way is because it was home. And I rolled out of bed that morning, my own home. You know, I got on, you know, back there, I rolled out of that bed and went to a ballpark in my town, three yeah. miles from where I live and called one of the more electric baseball games that, that I've ever called. And, and the twists and turns of that game and the, the Grandal home run that finally got a, it was the first extra base hit of the series for the Sox. And then Garcia comes up and, and cranks one to center. Fastball slider, curveball mostly. Leori Garcia sends one to deep center field. And the White Sox have taken the lead in game three. It was as loud of an atmosphere as any college football, NFL, NBA playoff. Uh, that was as loud of an atmosphere as I've ever been in in my life. And, you know, it's one of those, the hair on the back of your neck stands up type of nights. And, and it never stopped, you know, even when it was a blowout win for the Sox, you know, they're, they're, they're a great game of the, their only good game really of that series offensively, you know, that the whole night for nine innings, you just felt it. You felt that energy. And 
And my favorite thing, I bet Joe Davis will say this as well, because he and I both kind of came up with this philosophy. Nothing is cooler to me, and we've done this every playoffs when we've had the opportunity. You get runner at third, runner at second, tying run, whatever it may be, and you get the strikeout to end the inning, and you don't say mm-hmm. anything. And we got to do that multiple times in that series. We did it multiple times last year as well. When you can just set it up, huge pitch, trying to get out of this sixth inning, swing and a miss, you don't even call it. You just let it happen. Crowd goes wild. The camera guy walks the pitcher all the way to the dugout, and you just go to break without saying a word. And and we Ooh. had so many of those moments that night, that, that, that night, and that home run for Garcia, you hit the call and you just shut up. And just let it happen and and see how nuts, you know, guaranteed rate went. It was just so cool. Like those nights, those are those are the moments that keep you coming back. It's like golf, you know, like I get frustrated with myself on baseball because it's I'm not I don't call it every day. I'm not as good as those guys. I'm just not. And if I had a full time baseball job, maybe I would be as good or or maybe better than some of those guys, but I'm not. And I try to just, you know, part of me is just hanging on for dear life. I do think I'm good at this job in general. I know what I'm doing so I can make it work and I can make it sing sometimes, but I'm not as good as those guys. So when I get moments like that and I get nights like that and games like that, it keeps me wanting to to work on it and get better over the course of a full season so that when we show up in October, I can feel like I'm ready for those and have moments like that, have calls like that, and have non-calls like that too, because you know it keeps you coming back. It's like golf. You, know, you, you get a good shot and you're going to want to come back and shoot the next one. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I, uh, uh, I'm i picturing those moments when you just let, it's so antithetical to the radio stuff we talked about before. It's just, they're very different animals, uh, obviously. But that the, the power of those moments when, when the guys are walking off, there's, there's, really, there's really nothing like it. I love that you and Joe Davis uh, talked about it like that. Um, yeah. Can you, I want to ask you about a, is there one part of your game prep that you can't ignore for baseball? Something, what is for you, what for you is something that I absolutely have to do this or else I will feel naked as the game begins. I think my, you know, the, the best process I've, I've kind of come to over the course of the last few years of doing the national, you know, weekly, essentially national baseball gig is I just need to do the previous night's game. You know, really works well when we do the Saturday game, you know, the, for, for Fox, because there's obviously a Friday night game to open the series. So if I, you know, I had Bra- uh, Braves Brewers in July and I did all my, fr- uh, this is like my Friday night book. So I did a lot more in my Friday night book. It's kind of loaded up with stuff. It's loaded up with notes. I add a lot of those after the game. Because uh, again, I'm not calling the game. I'm just uh, I'm I'm watching it. I'm observing it and kind of going through the whole lineup card for both teams. For the listeners, Adam is holding up his uh, edition of the Bob Carpenter scorebook. Bob Carpenter, yep. a guest on this show uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and so yeah, so so wherever you are, even if you're not in the city yet or whatever, you watch the game and and score it. Do you try to be there in the ballpark to score it? It's if I can be, I will. If I'm in town, I'll either go to the game or I'll watch the local broadcast and I'll just yeah. go through the entire game. I will do my scorebook as if I'm calling the game that night. And like I said, sure. I'll add some notes even during the game or or even post game. I'll, I'll add a couple of post game notes. And that way I at least feel like the, the word you use that great word, Matt embedded. I want to feel like I'm at least embedded in the moment. Now that's not 
the only prep I do. Like obviously during the week, I'm doing a lot of this. I'm holding up a notebook right now that I have during the season with just, you know, split down the middle and just notes for both teams. All right. Are they hot? Are they cold? What was their high point in the season? 15 games Hmm. over. Now it's, now it's, you know, there are six games. So, you know, the division has changed and you try to just hit the storylines as the local guys would, you know, that's, that's the biggest goal. I think to try to make yourself who again me, who's not a day-to-day guy to yeah, try man. to at least make the local audience. Cause the, the baseball local audience is as I use the word ruthless, somewhat in tongue and somewhat tongue in cheek. And, oh and no, jazz, no, but it's a hundred percent ruthless, man. It's there's you stand, there's, guys. There's, yeah. The standards for local baseball fans are very high because they live and die for eight months with this team, basically, or for, for six months with this team. And yeah, I mean, even going back to spring training, it's more like eight months, you know, like you're, you're really living and dying with the team and your broadcast team. Like you're, right. you're with your guys every single hey, day. And it's hard hey, to man. recreate that knowledge. It's part of, it's partially my fault, Adam. When I was, um, when I was working with your colleague, <laughs> Jason Goff over at NBC uh, Sports Chicago, you guys work over there, but Jason and I did radio yep. together and came up together as producers as well. I, I coined the term out of town, stupid, because sometimes <laughs> like, cause we're in town and we're following. Yeah. It wasn't just about baseball, but man, it rears its head in baseball all the time. So if yeah. you don't know the context, we'll call you out. And then you've kind of lost them for the rest of the broadcast, no matter how good you are. Yeah. And and then you're battling, like, if that team plays poorly that night, you are now associated with how badly that team plays. Like we had, you know, that, that game, that, that July game that I had at uh, up in Milwaukee between Atlanta and the, and the Brewers that was the Sal Freelich game. The kid who made his major league debut oh went three for God. three, two incredible catches at the game tying RBI had the game winning sack fly. And what was a, a fabulous baseball game. And I had Braves fans saying like, I can't believe how biased you are. You're supposed to be down the middle, which first off, let me, let me say this. No, we're not supposed to be unbiased on a national broadcast. We're supposed to give context for both teams and why things matter and where they're at at that point of the season. But there's no such thing as unbiased on a national broadcast. And I think that's the biggest misnomer that fans have about tuning in. And I'll explain, you have a little bit of a quizzical look on your face. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And well, because I, 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 I understand I've, why. I've talked about, I've talked about this issue with, with, with Joe Buck just talked about it with, with, um, with, with a lot of people. Cause like the, sure. cause I've thought about it as you're supposed to give context. And of course you'll be excited about whatever goes well for either team. Cause you want excellence. You're there to appreciate, but you tell me your, your definition of, of, of yeah. what you're talking about. And then that's part of it too, Matt is, is like, you want your, I'm going to ride the wave of the game. I'm not here to ride the wave of your teams. I'm here to ride the wave of the game. So whatever happens in the game is what we're going to latch on to regardless. I can't sit here and frame everything in the prism of how a Brewers fan sees it or how a Braves fan sees it. I'm here to view the game in the prism of of a person just watching a baseball game. I let the game dictate what we talk about. You know, and I, I've gotten better about that. And that's one thing about Fox, doing games at Fox Sports compared to doing games at ESPN. At ESPN, and I, I don't think this is necessarily a criticism. It might come off as such. I think it's more of just a philosophical approach and a stylistic approach where they wanted to be the overarching uh, 
uh, voice of baseball. Like we are the omnipotent voice of the game. And I get it. Sunday night baseball, you're the last game of the week. You are you're recapping the week and setting things up. So there is a little bit of that. And I understand it. But the philosophy since I've been at Fox Sports is the game dictates what we talk about. I want to be as prepared as I possibly can for both teams and for every player that's going to come up. But if one guy does something incredible, I can't pretend that that's not happening because to a casual Uh fan or to a fan of neither of the teams, this is one of the coolest. If you can't appreciate that, I don't know how to explain it to you. If, If you're a Braves fan and you're upset, that I get. I totally understand that. That's okay for you to feel that way. And you want to be upset at the most accessible punching bag that you have. And that's me on Twitter or wherever. Like, oh, this guy sucks or he's biased. I don't, I I think the bias thing is such a misnomer because no game that you have ever watched in Major League Baseball or in the NFL, barring a tie or in the NBA, has ever ended with a straight down the middle score. If you look at the scoreboard, typically, again, outside of catastrophe or a tie in the NFL, one team wins and one team loses. The scoreboard itself is biased. (laughs) <laughs> one team did better than the other. Like I like that's such a simple concept. And I've come to that conclusion a long time ago. And by the way, I don't expect fans to care about that or know that. Like that's not their job to do so. So if you don't well, I'll feel tell you, that way or I'll, don't agree, I understand. I'll tell you this, though, the the difference in perspectives from the broadcast execs or whatever is notice is noticeable to the fans. And I think they do care about that because I'll take calls from people saying, I feel like, you know, whether it's ESPN or whoever is trying to tell me what I should care about and shoving these pre-produced pieces. The game is going on right here. Yeah. Like the something yeah. is happening over here. So you have to follow the game and let the game drive the content. It's got to be tempting to do it the other way when you've got all week to think about and all week to prepare yeah. stuff and, and, and you try to guess the storylines, but that's not how sports works. All right. Um, you've been generous with your time. I got, I got two more things I want to get to one. I remember a tweet from the Panthers broadcaster, um, Ranish Shroff, yep. um, yep. about it, it being so proud of the friendship that he has with you and a kinship with you. And I wondered if uh, how conscious you are in your life and career of, of South Asian broadcasters kind of bonding together in the business. Yeah. Cause you, for those who don't know, your dad came over from Pakistan, I believe 1978. Um, yep, that's correct. It, if, if that is correct, but I thought I just, that, that tweet had an impact on me. I'm like, damn, that's great. Cause I bet you guys could have used each other at different times, um, throughout your, your comeuppance, uh, in, in the broadcast business. Yeah. Well, well, we did. And Anish and I have been friends for, you know, a decade at this point. And, and we, we have a, uh, as I like to, you know, endearingly refer to, I have a Brown boy text with, uh, it's myself, Anish Shroff, Dari Noka. Kevin Nagandi and Adnan Burke, all five of us are on a text thread together. And, and it's, it's, it's great to have that kinship. Like you talked about it is, it's important to me that I, you know, we try to, okay. I I know it's going to sound a little strange. Like I didn't think about this very often when I was first coming up, not because it wasn't important, not because my background didn't matter or whatever, but I just wanted to do a good job. I just wanted to be really good at this because I can talk about jumping into this business being, well, I'm going to be a role model for South Asian kids and Pakistani kids, you know, who want to do this. That's bullshit. Cause if you're not good, they're not going to care and nor should they. 
if you don't do a good job and you're not a, a, in a, a, a great example professionally, consistently with high quality, then why would you want people looking up to you? And until I got to the point, you know, the, where I did the final four, the women's final four for the first time, maybe, you know, what was it? 2018. I, you know, I, the, uh, my friend Chuck Culpepper uh, was one of the greatest sports writers of this generation, uh, was kind enough to write a piece uh, about me. And this is actually four years ago in 2019. And, and he kind of wrote about the impact that like my, my dad had on me and how his love of sports impacted me and how it kind of led to this job that's a non-traditional by cultural standards south hit for south asians job i didn't have anybody like like that looked like me doing this job specifically there are there are some south asian people rubby Bagewell in town here you know in chicago for a long time was one of the guys that my dad knew about i was like oh yeah the, a canadian indian a canadian pakistani guy like kind of looks like us like oh that's cool but it didn't really register to me until I started doing this job at a really high level and I started getting messages from kids like like high school kids or like comments on Instagram or Twitter that had like South Asian flags and saying, you're you're doing this for us. You know, and it's like, I'm not I'm not doing this for you guys. I'm doing this <laughs> to do a good job and to be great at it. But for them, there was an impact. And I look at what Anish is doing now is not only a longtime ESPN voice, but now the voice of the Carolina Panthers. You know, the, the a radio voice for a National Football League team is a big deal. There's only 32 yep. of those jobs in this in this country and in this world. That's a big deal to see Kevin Nagandi anchoring the six o'clock Sports Center and being on Nash on, on network TV on ABC every Saturday, bringing you all the college football scores is a big deal. Adnan Burks on MLB Network every single night. Dari Noga is the lead man for the SEC Network, like in in the South in the American South. This Iranian guy is the lead voice and face for a network. Like that's a big deal. And I don't know if any of us cared that much about it when we started, because that's not the most important thing for us. We have to do a good job first. And as time has gone on and we feel comfortable in our jobs and, you know, I, I think, I guess it's a double entendre in our skin, you know, more, more comfortable in our own skins. Like yeah. now it, 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 we see it, we see that there is an actual impact, but that impact goes away if we suck. Like if I'm not good at this or if I'm not some kind of standard for how to do the job, you know, and, and yeah. again, your mileage may vary on that. I understand. But if I'm not some kind of standard for this, then it's not going to matter. It doesn't. I need to be great at this. And I want people to look at me and say, if they connect with me on that level, hey, he looks like me. He's from the same background. He's from the same city. He's from the same, you know, religious background, whatever it is. If that's how you connect, great. I still want to do a great job so that you do feel like, Hey, I can do this because he looks like me, but more importantly, I still have to be really good at it. Well, uh, that that's powerful stuff. And and we have found that a lot of young broadcasters have ended up downloading and 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 checking out these these podcasts. A lot of a lot sure. of aspiring PBP people. So I definitely wanted to uh, to mention that. It, and it makes all the sense in the world that the dual purposes or really the sole purpose of trying to be great has led to the possible dual purpose, but that sole purpose yeah. still has to drive the bus yeah. um all right want to close adam amin with asking you for um a piece of advice that va was valuable to you that you got from somebody that perhaps you want to pass on or it can be generated from you specifically but i want it in two parts i want one mechanically about doing baseball play-by-play -play, although you've already given us a bunch on that but and then two in terms of an overall career how to carve out um a, a, as long and, and flourishing a career as possible in this crazy business 
Yeah. I mean, we, we went over some of the mechanical stuff, but I'll reiterate, like, especially on baseball, the rhythm of the game is dictated by the pitcher and your job is to absorb that rhythm, understand what it is. And by the way, you have to be very flexible because two starting pitchers may have two completely different rhythms. You have to be understanding of the pace that the, that the pitcher is giving you. And you have to be able to adjust very subtly how you're ahead of that rhythm, how you stay ahead of the, of the game. Your job is to document every pitch in baseball. You have to document the pitch 250 to 300 pitches a game. And maybe, you know, you're going to fluctuate on some pitches. That's okay. I'm not telling you that you're a failure if you don't, but your goal is to document every pitch because in baseball, one pitch as we saw Cubs-Brewers last night, one pitch can be the difference in the game. It might be the only highlight. It might lead to the only run of the game. It might be yes. the one nothing game that night. You have to be ready for every single pitch. And that's the beauty of baseball. It's the beauty of this specific sport and, and of this game and of this uh, spe uh, nuanced, specific style of broadcasting for this sport on the radio especially. You have to be ready for every single pitch. So how you incorporate that into your voice and into your style is up to you and, and how you go about, you know, learning and processing and adjusting and, and incorporating those things. But the goal is you have to be the documenter of each pitch and you have to be ready for it so that the listener can absorb it properly. Uh, in terms of a career, yeah, I, I put a lot of maybe unnecessary pressure on myself. And it's, and I do understand I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth when I say this, because I put a ridiculous amount of pressure, not just on me as a broadcaster, but on me as a person when I was coming up in this business. I looked at Spiro Ditas, who's a great friend and, and a tremendous broadcaster. You know, he was like 24, 25 years old when he was calling the Lakers on radio. You know, he's calling those, you know, those last Kobe Bryant championships and you know, we all looked up to him. He was doing NFL and college basketball and all this stuff when he was a really young guy. And he skewed my view of a lot of this <laughs> business. I said, if I'm not doing those things by 25, 26, 27, well, I'm not going to have a very good career, am I? And that's not the case at all. And I, I look at Kevin Burkhart now, and I, I just think to myself, that's a story of perseverance. That's a story that people should look at and go, Hey, he waited, like he, he had to wait for his turn to, for somebody to recognize, Hey, you might have a future at this. I lucked out in a lot of ways because I and Eagle saw me at 23 and said, you have a future in this business. Let me know if I can ever help you. And he did to, to extents that I'll never understand, but don't put this unnecessary pressure on yourself. Have the loftiest, dumbest, stupidest goals you think you can have and chase them to no end. But don't put this pressure on yourself and this timeline and this clock on you to the point where you feel like you can't function. I was at that point for a while. And even when I got a job at ESPN at 24, I was constantly going over this in my head and, and diminishing the work that I was putting in. And, 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 and I kept telling myself, if you're not doing this or that, then, then you're not going to be where you want to be. And again, I understand it's hard to conceptualize that because I got to where I am. A lot of the, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the reason I got to where I am is because I put this pressure on myself, but I, I also don't think it was the healthiest thing for me. And I'm kind of messed up in the head for it. And I'm learning, huh. you know, years of the, I have a good therapist now. And there's a reason for that because I needed them. So, you know, I don't chase the goals, but don't put this unnecessary level 
of pressure on yourself to say, if you don't hit them, then you're a failure. That's what it was. Yeah. I looked at this as such a binary business. Either you're successful or you're a failure and there's no in between. And there's far too many definitions of success in this business and in life in general to ever diminish your own value, your self-esteem and your self-value. Uh, there's too many levels of success to ever do that to yourself. So uh, just don't do that to yourself. Appreciate what you're doing. Be in the moment. You know, work on the process and don't worry about the results because the process, if it's good, will eventually lead to the results that they're supposed to and 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 enjoy it rather than lamenting the process because that's what I did for far too long. That's going to help somebody. It's going to help a lot of people, uh, I, I'm that's sure, because uh, it's uh, extremely relatable on all sorts of levels. Adam Amin, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Good stuff there from a good man. Getting used to that here on the PBP. Next week, a conversation I really enjoyed with the younger of two brothers currently doing big league baseball on the radio. Will Fleming of the Boston Red Sox joins us. Incredible stuff from Will you'll hear on Fenway Park from the broadcast perspective on getting to work with his big brother Dave Fleming when the Sox play the Giants in San Francisco in July and much more. I know you're going to dig it. After that, well, how do you wrap up this season where we've learned so much and gone so deep into play-by-play? Well, we've got three more episodes for you, maybe four if one dream guest comes true. Will Fleming next week. After that, it is a flat-out legend. Tell a friend, Bob Costas talks big league play-by-play with us on our little podcast. I'm pitching myself to get to talk baseball with Bob Costas in this freewheeling format. Then after that, in October, it's going to be a special themed playoff episode as the playoffs begin. That's going to be with a repeat guest. We're super excited about really fun ideas being kicked around for that one. And hopefully one more after that, which I want to discuss so badly, but it's not official. It may not even happen, but if it does, well, buckle up, everybody. Buckle up. My producer is Ryan Porth. Thank you, Ryan, for your fine work as always. My collaborator is James Vickery. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus. Find the PBP, Voices of Baseball, on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts from 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball. The PBP, Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game.